Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. This is Ray and Bob coming to you from Pulled Pork, New York. Yes, we are twins, and yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. I'm Bob, and communication has been a curiosity of mine for over 45 years first as a college administrator, then as a university professor, and finally as a consultant to some major and minor corporations. Big and small, they all had communication issues. And I'm Ray, a former vice president of human resources, a retired psychologist and teacher who clearly understands that weak communication makes maintaining quality relationships tricky. Being in coaching contact with physicians and business executives over the last four decades makes me both old and full of some great stories. Hey, Ray, I think we have reached a milestone. It's hard for me to believe, but this is episode two. What I'm looking forward to talking about today, and I hope you are as well, is the concept of beliefs that we hold regarding what's good communication. I mean, one of the things we've bumped into in a lot of the coaching and consulting we've done is that people hold fundamental beliefs behind what they think is good communication. And I think where I'd like to start this particular episode is to put three questions out there and ask people to say, which one of these is most like you when you think about what is good communication? So the first one is just tell it like it is. Good communication is all about just telling it the way it is. Okay. So if you're out there listening, I want you to kind of pick one of the three that says, this comes closest to my belief. The second one is whatever you say, be appropriate, be polite, good communication, always fits in the situation. And the third one is how you say what you say is more important than what you actually say. So again, we're asking you say, okay, which one of these three gets closest to what I believe is really good communication. Now, these three beliefs play into a model that came out of the field of communication roughly about 10 years ago and may have been one of the most intriguing Uh, models of communication uh, that was developed in the last 20 years. And Ray, I know you're very familiar with it because you coached on it. So maybe you could talk us through that. Okay. The the model you're referring to is the message design logic model, sometimes referred to as MDL. That model identifies three beliefs that uh, people use to define effective communication. One belief is called being expressive, the expressive belief. And in the expressive model or the expressive piece, the nature of communication is straightforward. Its goal of it is A to B, straight line communication, a little bit like a gumball, what's in your head rolls out your mouth, very literal, often very strident, very abrupt at times, and very very much not edited. For example, when my son Matt was little, he was about uh, five or six, still in that very literal phase, I said to him, Matt, your mom is giving me the cold shoulder. And he walked away from me and went over and put his hand on Carol's shoulder to feel the temperature. Because at that point for children, all communication is very literal. When I say to Rebecca, Rebecca, you've lost your marbles. Her response was, no, dad, I haven't. I've counted them all and they're all still there. (laughs) That would be very typical of that style of communication. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, and the tagline that goes along with the expressive model is just tell it like it is. The second belief. So, is if, so if I were sitting out there and I bought into the notion of just tell it like it is, that's the one I said that that for me captures good communication. Then you would be thinking of me as an expressive in terms of this model. Absolutely. Absolutely. The second belief is conventional, the conventional style. And the, the driver uh, in the conventional style is saying what's appropriate, saying what's right at the right time. Politeness is a key element of it. The situation dictates how you say what you say. I remember an event uh, we went with a family member uh, who was from a, from a very fluent family. Uh, the, the, the groom was going to be, um, Carol's sister was marrying. And we went to a re, re, the rehearsal dinner and we went to this very elaborate reception area and had dinner with the judge, judge and uh, Paul. And there came a point at which there was a toast to be made by family members. And everyone on Paul's side was familiar with that convention and were able to provide a toast. Everyone on Carol's side was clueless as to how you initiated that, how you, even how you held your glass, but certainly not what you said. And yet everyone of Paul's relatives were just fluid. I mean, they were, they were remarkably adept at that convention. So it is, it is a matter of saying the right thing in the right way at the right time. So was there some consideration that the marriage shouldn't go forward? <laughs> we had, we'd considered that. But mostly because we couldn't hold up our end. It's about recognizing the context, about recognizing, hey, all communication occurs in some kind of situation, in some kind of context. Yes. And it's interesting. It's kind of fun to watch children begin to recognize the difference of communication and speech. Because kids who are very literal don't get the joke when you call a butcher and say, do you have pig's feet? And the butcher says, yes. And then you get to laugh and say, well, how do you get your shoes on in the morning? <laughs> because there comes a time when it's no longer literal. Communication is symbolic. One of the other things I, I'm hearing come out of this conversation is that the model is developmental. That is that expressives is an early form of communication that some people adopt all the way through, no matter how old they are. But that at some point, kids make a switch from literal to figurative speech. And that's often a move from expressive to conventional. Right. And it's also probably a, a byproduct of parenting and, and socializing and so on that you begin to learn that you need to say certain things in certain spots. Please and thank you are an important, important part of a convention. Yes. And then the third belief is what the uh, literature, the theorist called the rhetorical, I've often called it strategic, but it's the form of communication. You believe that what I say and how I say it creates a reality. It creates a dynamic. And the communication isn't a fixed process. And that there isn't necessarily a right thing to say at the right time. Uh, but there is something you say that you believe will address all the needs of the communication at the same time. Mm -hmm. So strategic communicator is one who's looking at communication as a dynamic process as a whole and not seeing it as a singular focus, uh, just say it the way it is, mm -hmm. or a conventional focus of being polite or saying the right thing at the right time. A strategic communicator is looking at the context, is looking at the people involved, 
looking at the outcome that could occur and trying to make a choice related to what's best going to address that. Yes. And in fact, you, when we talked before, you gave an illustration of a potential conflict situation where a husband comes home and is met at the door. Maybe you could share that as an example of what this whole notion is of the whole of communication, that there's more going on than just a very simple, straightforward message. Yeah, I think the last time that we talked, I, I mentioned that if you've had a very rough day, if everything's gone wrong for you, and you are headed home to seek solace, and you open the front door and your wife steps up and says, boy, have I got a bone to pick with you. What the strategic communicator understands is that what I say next and how I say it is going to determine the reality I live in for the next few hours, the next few days, for the next month, okay? Mm -hmm. So they choose wisely. Mm -hmm. They don't presume that what they can do is just shoot from the hip and say, you've got a bone to pick with me. I've got something to tell you as well. They don't start with that straight line, what's happening in their head about how bad they feel. A strategic communicator would say, hmm, I need to maybe sort this out a bit before I even make a comment. You know, if you don't mind us moving on, I'd like to layer on top of this conversation around the message design logic model and talk about uh, another piece of research in the field of communication that talked about the, that speaks to the elements of a message. And what these authors said is there is no message you can craft, create. There's nothing you can say that doesn't have three simultaneous elements to it. That is three pieces to it. And every time you utter a message, all three of these come across. The first element is task. And that essentially says, what are we talking about here? Uh, there's a task involved. It could be a very specific task of doing something, but it could be nothing more than just we're talking about something and that's the task. The second piece of the message is, so who are you and who am I in this message? And they refer to it as the identity element. In every message, as I'm a listener, I am listening for, well, what is this person saying about me? Who am I in this person's eyes as they're talking to me about this? And who are they? in my eyes and in their own eyes. And then lastly... Bob, let me stop you there for a second. Uh-huh. Is that to say that that element is one in which I'm being perceived by how I'm communicating? It creates a perception of me during that process of communication. Is that part of that identity figure? That it, identity yes. Understanding? It, it's, I think it's not my own reaction, but it's not only the perception you hold, but it's the one I am giving off that may be accurate. That is your, it's not just a perception. It may be, I'm actually communicating this to you about who you are in this particular moment. Okay. Uh, the example I use is, it's a, it's a rather trivial one, but if I were to be with my grandson and I were to just simply shout out, no, don't do that. In that message, there are three elements. One is the task. There's something I'm telling him not to do, whatever the task is. Secondly, there's who he is and who I am in the message. And when I say it so abruptly and so directly, no, don't do that. I'm communicating. I'm the grandpa. You're the grandson. You will pay attention and do what I tell you to do. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's that simple. And so there's that clear identity of who we are in this message. And then the third element of that message is the relationship. And in terms of what's the ongoing nature of the relationship, what's the potential in the relationship given this kind of communication. And I would say, if that were repeatedly the only message I gave off, 
was no, don't do this in a very harsh tone, in a very direct tone. Pretty soon, my grandson would have a pretty clear idea of, or at least ask the question, do I really want to be engaged in this relationship? And although he may be unable to get out of it immediately, there may be a point up the road where he'll say, no, the relational message has been so consistently strong, I don't want to be a part of this. And so the point would be that in, in messages, they always, always have the same three elements, no matter what the message is, no matter how long it is, no matter how short it is. So one of the dilemmas that communicators face is how do I communicate a message knowing that I'm doing all three? And what, what do the, how do the beliefs shape the elements in terms of what do they attend to? What, what do different, if I have this fundamental belief that we're calling expressive, what do I tend to focus on if I have a fundamental belief? And so I throw it back to you and say, based on your understanding of the model, where would you go with that? Well, my understanding is that for expressives, their focus is on task. So they communicate in a manner to address the task, whatever that task is. And by and large, expressives believe that the task is the the only valuable element of the communication. In other words, if the task doesn't get accomplished, nothing necessarily good has come out of the communication. Nothing effective has occurred. For the conventional people, for the people who believe convention is, is the appropriate way to communicate, then what they're trying to do is they're focusing on the relationships and the identity and the context and the situation. The situation demands diplomacy so that people do not go away offended. Then they'll focus on communicating in such a manner that they minimize that likelihood. They'll try to reduce the problems associated with the situation. Okay, If it's a speaking engagement that they're involved in, then they'll try and take in all the audience, all of the major players, and make sure they're all affected positively or addressed positively. But the conventional speaker will be very alert to their environment, very alert to the context, very alert to the people who are involved. And their focus will be on how those how we're, how we're perceived, how I'm perceived, and how others view me perceiving them. I all too often think of this as the political form of speech. Politicians may not be saying anything substantively, but they're trying to keep people viewing them in a certain way. Yep. And, and that uh, they want people to see them in a certain light, whether that's accurate or not. Uh, and that third belief, the rhetorical strategic communicator is trying to address all three elements at the same time. They're the ones who are saying, how do I, what do I say that addresses the outcome I want, keeps our identities where I would prefer them to be, how I'm seen and how I see you, and then also speaks to our relationship, what I want going forward. So a strategic rhetorical communicator is one who's, quite frankly, whose response is really not that predictable because it can go in virtually any direction based on how they think uh, they can best achieve those three elements rather than one at a time. So where the expressive is going for task almost solely, and the conventional is going for relationship and identity almost solely, uh, the strategic is going for all three simultaneously. And that's the difference you'll hear in style when people are talking based on what they believe. And I and I, I don't know that you would agree with me on this, but my, my view of it is that the strategic, the rhetorical style is one that I would encourage people to try to develop. That I think that that is a very successful, if acquired, very successful form of communication because you're not creating problems while you're communicating. You're trying to address whatever problems could occur. 
And when you say that, the rhetorical style is one we should try to develop. Again, going back to the very beginning of this uh, podcast, the authors, the researchers suggested this is a fundamental underlying belief uh, that drives the way you communicate and that that belief is really hard to change. I don't think we would want to mislead people and say, okay, as they've been listening, boy, wouldn't it be great to be a rhetorical, but I think I chose expressive as my fundamental belief structure, there is a dilemma there because those beliefs are not easy to change. They're ingrained. We've we've believed for so long and continue to believe this is the best way to communicate that to change those quickly is just simply not going to happen. Now, one of the things we do talk about and, and that we coach on is the idea of mitigating those beliefs in some ways, if we really believe in I agree with you. I think the strategic style long-term, particularly in the changing environment that we live in today, is the preferred style. It's the developmentally highest developed style, but it's not one that's easy to embrace at the belief level, but it is one we can begin to say, are there ways that I can at least address and take into account the different elements of the message to think about as a starting point? And well, Bob, I, I, uh, I was delivering this very content, this topic, to a group of uh, exec- executives at Merrill Lynch. During the first half of the morning, we were spelling all of this out about the belief system and about the three tasks and uh, had just concluded it before lunch. And there was a fellow in the room that I had been forewarned was very expressive and was at the highest tier of the Merrill Lynch executive group. As we were leaving for lunch, he pulled me aside and he said, Ray, I know the message you're sending. And I agree with you. I think you're absolutely right that in today's marketplace, someone needs to be strategic in their communication if they're going to be successful. He said, however, I'm only four years away from retirement. I'm completely expressive and I am not going to change. (laughs) I have no reason to give this up. But I will promise you this, until I retire, I won't hire anyone who communicates like me. Interesting. And I thought wow. that was a that was probably the, the most positive experience I've had in a while delivering this material because I thought it was honest. Here's a guy, in, in light of what you're saying, here's a guy who's used this belief system, this style for decades. Mm-hmm. He's within reach of retirement and he knows the work that would be involved in trying to change that belief. And he's not willing to do it at this point, mm-hmm. even though he concedes that is probably the best way to view effective communication. So I think the best he could do is uh, make a promise to me and the organization that he won't hire anyone expressive at his level going forward. Yes. Interesting story. In fact, I think we decided that in episode three, we want to share a few more stories, a few more examples of people who have wrestled with this um, belief structure underlying communication. And maybe by telling their stories, we'll give examples of what are some things you can do and what are some things you might do in order to get closer to the strategic perspective, strategic approach to uh, communication. I think what we want to do, and I suspect we're very close to out of time, is to talk a little bit about how you can tell what your preferred style is. And so I've got three ways of doing that. One is there's actually a survey. And so if someone that's listening out there would like to take a survey on what their style is, be glad to provide that for them so they can just use an instrument to assess that. Uh, The second one, and it's the one we started this episode with, is simply to ask the question, what's my preferred belief? Is it? Just tell it the way it is. Just tell it like it is. That's the best way to communicate. Now, we all know sometimes we choose not to communicate that way, but underlying, I 
fundamentally believe that's the best. Second one is whatever you do, be appropriate. That's That would be another underlying belief. And then lastly, and we say this pretty strongly, we phrase this in such a way that it's not an easy one to jump to. And that is how you say what you say is more important than what you say. And then the last one, a uh, last way of kind of sorting out which fundamental belief do I hold is in how I deal with others. If in communicating with others, I find myself tending to focus most on task, that is, I'm really thinking about, it's important to get this done. I'm really outcome driven. I really feel like it's, it's the way we ought to do this. Then I'm more likely to be an expressive. If I tend to focus more on relationships and identity, that is, I'm always concerned about how others are feeling. I'm always concerned about how they're reacting. I'm really gauging the environment. I'm really trying to get reads on harmony. I want people to be feeling good about our conversations. Then probably I'm a conventional. And then lastly, if I'm a person who thinks, you know, all three of these are important. I'm aware that all three of these are happening simultaneously and and that I need to somehow, and the way I frame this message to take that into account, then I'm more likely than not strategic. The other thing I would say about strategic communicators that separates them and rhetorical communicators that separates them from either the other two is that strategic communicators are much more aware that communication for them is a choice. That is what they say next, they are consciously choosing. Oftentimes with an expressive and a conventional, it's not near as much a choice as it is a response. That is, they just hear something and they respond to it or they react to it. Or they hear something and they get a quick read on the context and and they say to themselves, what's the most important thing to keep this context, to keep this situation, to keep appropriateness in play? And so they're not thinking so much about what choices do I have here in crafting my message as I design it. Now, that said, I think we tried to bring some summary conclusions to uh, this session about beliefs. I would say that both of us feel that this particular understanding of the beliefs that underlie the way we communicate, critically important to where we go next. And so we'll want to take episode three and try to play that out a bit more so that we we don't run by it too fast and that we can really explore the ins and outs of it for those who find this particular topic interesting. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. Remember, no communication problem is too big, too complicated, or too intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.